Hey guys, Hellabast here with episode number 27. Can you believe that already? This week we talk with Elite Series rookie Bob Downey, and we talk about the ups and downs of qualifying for the Elites halfway through his rookie season. We touch upon what's working for him, what's been new, what's been exciting, uh, some of the new things from St. Croix and VMC and a few other things. Uh, sorry about the with the weird uh, notification sounds that popped up. Not sure if that was on Bob's end. And I know some people struggle with the stream, but I think the replay and the audio uh, is pretty good. So hope you enjoy this. Hope you learned something. And as always, hope to help you suck less and catch more bass. All right. Here we are live. Welcome, everybody. Trickling in. Uh, let us know how the sound is. Say something in the chat. Let us know you're here. Um, and uh, we'll get rolling here in just a minute. But uh, so tonight we got, uh, I don't know, like I think there's a little bit of an argument, like whether it's Minnesota zone or Wisconsin zone, Bob Downey, like <laughs> debatable. What, what would you yeah. say? Are you a Minnesotan or a Wisconsinite? I would have to say I'm a Minnesotan, but I think there's big confusion on that whole deal just because I live like. 10 minutes across the border now, but I grew up in the Twin Cities area and cut my teeth fishing in Minnesota. So Absolutely. And so I'll do like, so Bob and I have known each other, I guess, I mean, like we're not like, pretend like we're best friends, but we've been acquaintances uh, for probably, I don't know, almost 10 years now. Something like that. So I feel like I've at least been competing in the TOPs for Bass Nation for 10 years or so now but yeah yeah and like i remember like back when we didn't have like a hundred social uh sites like probably on facebook or something like that bob reached out to me when he was in college looking for one of his first bass belts asking about when i had just gotten my bass cat which was probably yeah. like eight plus years ago so that's right around that time and mm-hmm. uh kind of chatted about some of the local lakes and about bass cats and things like that and we, we fished against each other and a lot of uh kind of kind of level tournaments uh in minnesota so and then uh so you know kind of been cordial and said hi but i don't think we've ever really hung out to buy any yeah. uh, so right. it's cool to have you on here and uh get to know a little bit more about you and share uh, some of your experiences with uh youtube and everything else. yeah i appreciate you having me on i mean we didn't grow up or at least i didn't grow up too far from where i don't know if you grew up in south metro but I mean, I fished a lot of those lakes that you fished the last 15, 20 years growing up. And that's kind of where I got my start was in one that Eaton area and down in the Lakeville. Uh, kind of cut my feet fast fishing there. So. Yeah. Well, I grew up on the north side. So, like, when I was young, okay. I was like Coon and Ham Lake and Turtle and like the Chisago Lakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after college, I settled down and we bought a house down in Lakeville. So, I've been here since like early 2000s. Oh. 15 plus okay. years. So. Yeah, it's a good area. Those lakes can be good at times. They can be a little frustrating too, but. Yeah, I only wish that I would have started venturing down to Fairbolt sooner than I had. Like, there's a lot of good, sneaky stuff down that way. So. Is there? I haven't explored much down there myself. There, there, there's, there, there's, uh, there's more than Marion if you go south. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but. I hear you. Bob, you're an Elite Series rookie this year, uh, qualified through the Central Opens last year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so why don't you guys just give us a little high-level background uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about the 2019 season and how you got here. 
Yeah, so I decided to jump into the Opens last year. Um, mainly the Mississippi River kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Uh, one of the tournaments was going there, and I've got some experience there. Not a ton, but enough to feel like I'd maybe jump in it and see how I would do against those guys. And um, my kind of thought process was if I was going to do that, I may as well jump in the first one down at Toledo Bend and just see how it goes and not really expecting a whole lot. And fortunate um, to do well on that one and kind of just rolled from there into Smith Lake and had a good finish there. Uh, the third one was actually on the river and the one I was, had planned to do from the beginning. Um, had a pretty poor day the first day of the river and kind of thought that was going to be the last open I fished and then had a good second day. Got a check and then um, entered that last one on Grand Lake and ended up winning the whole thing. So <laughs> that kind of catapulted me into the elite series and then qualified for the classic with that win. And, um, you know, 2019 was just one of those seasons where, you know, everything kind of just went right. And, it, you know, you launch the boat, you kind of have the confidence that you're going to find them in session. And that's not always um, You know, I just got on a good run and got fortunate and had a little bit of a break. And so was able to qualify for the elite. And we are so with the classic you've got five of your ten yeah. you know, pro level events under the your belt this year so really yeah coming up you kind of were hoping to uh what's, what's the word you're hoping to just get in on lacrosse right kind of cherry pick lacrosse and you kind of end yeah. up adding one here and there and things kind of snowballed. The next thing you know, you found yourself with a win and a series invite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was quite the deal, you know, super blessed to have had that season. Um, you know, I mean, I got, I mean, I did not expect it to be honest. It would, it had always been a dream of mine to try the opens in college really, you know, I had aspirations right out of college and then got a decent job and kind of, into that and enjoyed doing that and um but still kind of had it in the back of my mind that i always wanted to try it and so right this year you know the stars kind of aligned and gave it a, a shot and it worked out and um i'm still working to this day, along with trying to do the elite series so it's kind of nice to still have somewhat of a stable income while i'm doing it but um, yeah which we talked about that a little bit earlier. It's kind of like a blessing and a little bit of like a double-edged sword. Right? So like you got the stability, you still got benefits, you still got, you know, you're, you know, mostly a full-time job. Yeah. Um, some special, <laughs> maybe some unpaid time off here and there. But uh, right. and again, when you're not at a tournament, you're back on the 40, 50 hour grind for the most part and not pre-scouting other lakes. You're not spending yeah. time in the water just, honing your craft like uh like we talked about earlier a lot of these guys are just hanging out in new york hanging out on yeah. a dog uh st right right they're just they're just whacking smallmouth for the next two weeks or whatever or working on their skills on their electronics and you're you're, you're you know you're making you're probably making more money than they are right now but yeah. uh, it kind of goes both ways <clears throat> yeah yeah for sure i mean i still try and stay out on the water as much as i possibly can when i'm back home but it's um, not nearly as much as I would be if I wasn't working a different job. Um, so, yeah, there's a give and take there for sure. You know, 
you're on one hand have somewhat of a stable income, which is good, but on the other hand, you're not you're not on the water as much as some of these guys. Um, but you're not you're not living off ramen noodles and black beans because you didn't right. get three yeah. <laughs> and maxing so out your credit cards, right? So yeah, uh, right. So that part's not all bad either. Right. That's cool. Um, so we kind of talk like let's. I mean, like you. I mean, when you got the invite. Was there much debate, or did you like? I got to do this. Like, there's. Were you kind of like seeing what came with like you know, St. Croix and Basscat, or were you like, I'm just gonna do it and figure it out? What's kind of your mentality? You know, there was some debate. I followed this sport long enough to kind of know the ups and downs of it and how how difficult it can be. And um, but at the same time. Being that it had been a dream of mine forever, um, and knowing how hard it is to qualify through the opens, I felt like if I didn't at least give this a shot for a year or two, that I would sit back and probably regret it in five, ten years. So um, that part kind of just overruled everything else. Um, and so there was definitely some debate and a lot of thought that went into it, but ultimately, you know, sure, kind of my dream um, to see how. Well, it did you work things out with your employer before you made the decision? Like that? Yeah, actually, like going into, I had like open conversations with them even during the opens last year. Sure. Um, like after the Mississippi River, I think I was sitting like seventh in the points, and that's right. when it kind of became real. So I had a few like sit down, let's go up to lunch, kind of talk through some things to see mm -hmm. like if this actually happens, can I, you know, would I be able to do this and. You know, I can't say enough about my boss and current employer. I mean, they've been unbelievably flexible with me to the point where I don't know if I'd be able to do it if, if they weren't, you know, that flexible. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to. So yeah. that opportunity um, and kind of almost kind of a perfect scenario, at least to give it a try for a year or two, I had to take a shot at it. Sure. And do you feel like, if you would have, let's say you just would have top five or top 10 that grand and didn't win it, is it a different conversation or the fact that you like won and that gave you a nice cash bump for your fishing account? Or do you, was that not a big factor, do you think? Oh, no, that was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I would have had to use, a, you know, a good chunk of my personal savings to be able to do it this year if I hadn't won, you know, last year. So, or found, found more sponsor support, really. So, Basically, was able to use that plus the guaranteed classic earnings and kind of bankroll this year on our sponsor support. And yeah. it, I, I'm going to have to do well, you know, this year um, to be able to do it next year comfortably too. So, um, yeah, that's that's part of this game. You know, I think it's been like that since the beginning. You know, I, you know, to get your start in it, not easy at all from a financial standpoint. So, and plus, it gives you the confidence. I mean, when you want it. It makes you think, well, maybe I don't suck. Maybe, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, you know, if I can win an open, I should be able to cash some checks in the elites, right? Like, yeah, you would think so. And then you bomb in Florida at the first one. And then it's this sport is such a roller coaster that, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it does give you some confidence that, especially when, when there's a bunch of locals there too in Oklahoma and you're able to compete with them. It at least, Gives you some confidence that you might be able to compete under certain conditions, anyways, or certain scenarios. Yeah, I mean, 
a lot of people will say that an open can be harder to win than an elite series event. Now, I think you can get yeah. both ways, but right, you've got literally, you know, fifty to seventy, you know, of the best anglers in the world versus, you know, almost two hundred of the best anglers not in the world but on that, you know, like there's gonna be fifty of them on that pond that are considered like, yeah, heavy local favorites, right? So. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. The open competition is pretty stout. Um, you know, you got a lot of guys like me that were, you know, they're hungry and they're trying to get in. And then, like you said, you got probably 30 or 40 of the best locals that are jackpot in the event. Um, you know, so, and then you got, you know, maybe 10 to 15 scoring pros that would jump in those things too. So, absolutely. Um, they're definitely pretty So this one, like guys, if you can like and, and uh, hit that like button, uh, share the stream on social if you can. We're gonna be getting into some like pretty deep details on Bob's like successes and challenges, and I think it's gonna be really good because he's at. You know, we'll talk about some of the ups in 2019 and what worked and went well. We're gonna talk about some of the struggles this year, and I think. From my perspective, there's going to be a lot to learn because, you know, when you see a Brandon Polinick or a Seth Bayer or a Paul Mueller, like, crushing it, when they go to the tournament and they make good decisions and they find them and it works out, that's great. That's one thing. And there's some things you can learn that. But I think there's an opportunity for us all to learn a little bit based on, like, and I don't know all the details behind this. That's what we're going to dig into. Uh, I think your average angler has more potential to learn from some of getting into these details. And, you know, when guys have, you know, what's called a mediocre season, they don't necessarily get a lot of coverage. And so you don't really find out like the nuggets and details behind this. So I think there'll be a lot of interesting stuff. So I think it's a good opportunity to ask a lot of questions. So I just want to make sure you guys take time, hit that button. Uh, up so we get a few more people in here. So, and then obviously you get to watch the replay too, but I want as many people to be able to kind of like participate in this because I think it's going to be a really good conversation. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so these two questions are really similar from Sycamore Outdoors. He says, what was the biggest hurdle when deciding to go for the chance to go competitive fishing? And SmackDown says, what is the single best challenge of your fishing career? So I think those are both related. Maybe you can kind of cover those um, high level. Yeah. I mean, Rich kind of touched on it a little bit in terms of jumping to the next level. I think confidence is always a big deal with that, whether you're jumping into a adult club or you're going up to the state POC for the best nation, or you're jumping into higher end team tournaments and then maybe BFLs and then opens, you know, every step of the way for me has always been a, can I compete at that next level type of deal? And that's a big hurdle from a mental standpoint to try and get over. And that's kind of where I'm at right now with the elite series, to be honest. I mean, that's as a rookie, you don't really know until you get out there and fish for a season or two. Um, and so that's always a big challenge, the mental side. Um, it's no different than any other high-end professional sport. You know, the mental part of it is a big deal. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, I was fortunate to win that tournament and have the classic earnings um, to be able to finance this year. Um, you know, without that, I think that honestly is maybe one of the biggest hurdles that holds guys back. Um, you know, the other part, this sort of lifty um, lifestyle, I guess, isn't always for everybody either. And I look at myself as 
um, someone that had a good year in the Open. So there are a lot of guys that are just as good as me that are local that just choose not to live this lifestyle. And so that that's um, sometimes can be a hurdle or a challenge for guys too, is they just simply don't want to live that sort of lifestyle. Um, so the traveling part of it is definitely a hurdle for, for some people. Other people don't think twice about it. Um, but it's something I'm getting used to. You know, I've, I've got a camper that makes me get a little bit more comfortable on the road instead of being in hotels all the time. Um, so that was kind of one thing I had to think hard about, about how I was going to travel on the road. Um, but I, I mean, that's more than just a single deal, I guess. But for me, if I had to pick one, it would definitely be a confidence thing. Yeah, and I think there's uh, when you jump up, especially to this level, I think there's two things, right? Can I compete against these guys? And then the unknown of going to waters you're not comfortable with, to me, is yeah. a big deal. And now oh, you got a little bit at the opens. Um, yeah. But it, it is like, and even like, it's like the first time you go up to Vermilion or the first time you go to the Mississippi River, or the first time you go, you know, to like, you start stretching your boundaries. You yeah. always kind of feel that uh, uncomfort. That's good. It's what challenges you. It kind of makes it fun. Um, yeah. So yeah, you travel. Oh, go ahead. No, 100%. I mean, like you follow would be a good good example. I mean, fish and brush piles, you know, we just don't do that around here. And so I had to learn how to do it that week. I didn't do it well. Um, so I ended up fishing shallow most of the time. But just little things like that, like, you know, you learn, learn different intricacies um, of different lakes throughout the, throughout the season. But are you, are you traveling solo or are you hanging with anybody or i'm on the road solo um i kind of work with caleb kufal out of milwaukee area uh, we got to know each other really well in the opens last year we randomly would stay at the same campgrounds like unplanned we happened to always like stay right next to each other and had a real similar path like his first year in the opens was last year he won a tournament qualified for the classic we're both, I would consider ourselves like true rookies. Like we've never had tour experience on the FLW tour necessarily. And so we, we talk every day, you know, in practice in the tournament and, sure. um, you know, kind of bounce ideas off each other, kind of help out, out each other a little bit. And, you know, Caleb's a phenomenal fisherman. If anybody follows any of the tournament team in Wisconsin or at least around Milwaukee or the BFLs. I mean, he is consistently at the top or in the five to 10 percent. Um, yeah. He's already had some success in the classic and this year on the elite series. So um, good guy to know. Super great person on the water too. So we kind of gel well together. You got to stop giving him all your juice. He's bad. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> Are you sure he's, he's telling good. you everything? <laughs> no, right? Yeah. No, that's no, he's good. He's um, very well accomplished locally and has, you know, kind of transferred that into the national level too. Yeah, I know. My my first experience with Caleb, uh, one season that I fished the full season of BFLs in the Great Lakes Division, and I finished like, I don't know, fifth or seventh in the points, which I was pretty proud of as my first year fishing. Yeah. That's and good. Like, yeah, like in cash, I had like a top five and a top ten, and you know, like yeah. was, I was definitely in the conversation to to be able. I mean, I mathematically could have won the OI in the super mm -hmm. tournament, go my yeah. way up. But uh, and he was that was like 
first of his two years back-to-back or second. I mean, it was, it was one of the back-to-back years that he won the OI points, and he really hasn't even fished a full season but the, like uh, since then. So, yeah, he's, he's very good for sure. Yeah, yeah, extremely good wherever he goes, really. So Connor says, what would you do differently to get to the elites? Well, there's really only two paths to the elites, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, they the Bass, Bass Nation or the Opens. Right. Um, I mean, technically you could do the team trail and then win the classic, <laughs> but that's kind of right. a really challenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that'd, be, that'd be hard. Yeah, that yeah. might be hard in the Bass Nation. But. And I guess, I mean, you kind of were fishing the Bass Nation for the last decade before you, I mean, you were kind of, you've made yeah. a couple regionals, right? Yeah, I think I've qualified for three of them in the last yeah. like eight, nine years or something like that. So, but. and I've been doing that as well. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to get past that regional level. Like it's uh, I mean, once, uh, but that's that's a tough path. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really tough. It's really it's tough. tough. Like you can kind of get. I feel like it's a little easier to get on a run in the opens, like you did. Oh. Like, shorter time frame. It's more expensive to play. It's it's different, but uh, yeah. yeah, you can get on a run like I did last year and. You know, with the Bass Nation, the way it's set up, it's broken up year to year. Like year. Month between tournaments or a year, it's like it's oh, hard. Year, to yeah. Like, yeah, and I it's like start over. Like, yeah, yeah, and I think Minnesota is one of the hardest states to even get out of. Personally, I mean, you talk mm-hmm. to a lot of other states that don't have the participation. Um, that Minnesota has, or at least had when I kind of, I don't know what the numbers they're looking like this year, but um, it's pretty similar. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you compare us to like South Dakota and Iowa and yeah, it's like the Northeast States and like they have really, but yeah, I wouldn't compare us to like Alabama or Texas. No. Yeah, that's true. But I just always thought, I mean, Minnesota, there's a lot of good sticks in this state. Um, that are consistent towards that. My little girl's she's, she's uh, limping coming out of goalie training for hockey. Oh, uh oh. I'm a ten year old that wants to be a ice goalie. So okay. Uh, <clears throat> how important is it to have success at lower level turns for jumping to higher levels? Uh, I, I think it, honestly, I don't know about you like. I think it's super important. Yeah. I mean, I guess like my progression, I started in a junior club when I was like 14 and then moved to an adult club and then college and then like team tournaments and BFLs and Bass Nation state tournaments before I ever jumped in the opens. And I tried to have some level of success in each one of those before I would kind of move on to the next. And, right. Um, you know, there's and a lot of people say, you know, there's just not many shortcuts. You know, you can, you, you kind of got to have success at each level to have the confidence in yourself to be able to compete at the next one. I know there's there's a lot of people with money that just keep moving up, and they, they don't they don't care about confidence or success. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can certainly enter the opens if you want if you got the uh, financial capability to do it um, and you know 
you may or may not succeed. I don't know. But that was another thing with me jumping into the open. I never wanted to do it and strain myself financially. And I was kind of finding the place with my career that I could do it without really killing myself um, and got fortunate in the ones that I did. Yeah, absolutely. Follow-up says, question for both of us. If you were to give someone just starting fishing tournaments a piece of advice, what would that be? Um, I mean, for me, preparation is a big deal. Um, and that kind of starts with organization in my boat for myself, at least, and kind of research on the lake. Some people kind of, for me, I love to be organized. Other people, it works other ways. Like I know, like I'm like Seth, I, you know, you look at his boat, he's got stuff all over the place, but obviously that works for him, you know. And so you kind of got to find what works best for you in that regard. But for me, I always try and take care of things that I can take care of off the water. So in, in tournament mode, you know, during the permanent hours, I'm not really having to think about anything else. But and research is kind of somewhat of a big deal for me. I don't like to get like so dialed into the lake where I'm like not relying on my own abilities, I guess, because I've been burned doing that before. But I definitely like the more general understanding of areas and kind of the certain ways that it's to, to do well and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess all good stuff. And for me, I'm definitely more, I probably leave a little more Seth. There's definitely like a bit of organized chaos in my boat, like yeah. where stuff mm-hmm. is, and like, but it's not like meticulous by any means. But yeah. my boat's a little older and it's not super clean and it's got some scratches in it. But, you know, like before I was out on Leech last weekend, I tightened down all the screws. I tightened, I checked yeah. all the gallons and the, the trolling motor. And, and like, and I know my boat's not like 100%, but I know what to do with my you know what I mean? Like if something mm-hmm. wonky things, but I know how to work around. You know what I mean? Like there's not much yeah. down with a, a screwdriver or a roll of electrical tape on my boat, right? So uh, I think it is. You know, it's all over the board. And I would say have fun doing it. And like, yeah, true. Do it to get in that competitive mode and have fun. And there should be a little bit of stress or anxiety in the tournament. That's what the competition part. But mm-hmm. you shouldn't let it get debilitating for you, right? Like you should feel a healthy amount of competitive stress without letting it take you over where you're like spun out and breaking stuff. And like, yeah. you got to find that zone that works for you. It's totally true. And I'm trying to find that balance, to be honest, on the Elite Series this year. I mean, I've kind of had that or been able to find that balance in other levels. And, um, I've kind of, I've gotten better at it in the last couple of events, but like in Florida, you know, when one thing went wrong, it was like a train wreck. And you know, I look at guys that are veterans in the sport, and um, you know, their ability to stay on an even keel and like not let them get to them is, you know, way beyond what a rookie can do in most cases. And I think that's why. They- Couple years as a rookie, avoiding the snowball is a big deal, right? Like, you're gonna lose fish, you're gonna break stuff, mechanical issues are gonna happen, yeah, things happen. It's just like life, and you gotta be able to like pivot, make the most of it. Like, you know, maybe win now, but I can still catch one more fish and get some points, or like, you didn't have to make the best of the situation, like, 
Yeah, no excuses. That's a skill that takes time to learn in tournaments for sure. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and if something goes wrong, like don't dwell on that and don't don't um, like keep telling yourself that's the reason you're not catching them. Like you got to just move past that and, and get after it and keep going. Yeah, and like, yeah, the wind blows, the fish aren't biting here. Well, that's – happen now it's not like you can't let that dictate the rest of your tournament day or the rest of your week like it's like okay that happened now what like let's move on (laughs) totally Uh, yeah um, easier said than done but i'm trying to get better at that yeah cool hey welcome tom uh tanner says you got any tips for big bass on gull on gull um i think you probably you're probably better on gull than i am but i don't know i mean we had one tournament out there in the fall a couple years ago at TOC. I think we were leading after the first day, and we were just fishing weed lines, like heavy Texas rigs, kind of deeper coontail type stuff. But I know they can get up shallow in the summer. We were there like the first week in October, and I think I think Josh Douglas and Joel ended up in that thing, and I think they caught them like five feet or less on a big I would say two things, like either get out and find that deep coontail clumps, right? That isolated yeah. coontail, that's a good bet. Or um, you can catch good ones, shallow, like both docks, reeds, things like that. But that's a little more of one here, one there. So like if I was yeah. going to take a tournament, I would have some offshore spots where I thought I could catch 13, 14, 15, 16 yeah. pounds. And then once I hit that kind of plateau of the spot, then I would just get up shallow. Ox reads, fish the wind, yeah. follow the wind. There's a tip. Like wind is really important on gull. Like yeah. you don't want the rotating wind, but then fish, especially for shallow, will typically react a little, little, little good yeah. walleye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been more of a. I stay in that lower section for the most part. Um, yeah. I know you guys do catch them up in the, the smaller lakes at times, but I don't have as much experience up in those lakes. Yeah, a little bit. And it, it, like to me, the upper lakes are much more feaster fam. You're either going to go up there and catch 18 pounds or you're going to come back with three pounds. Like, and then yeah. I, it's like that idle in those slow wake zones, unless you like, if you only have one or two spots up there and they don't go, it's <laughs> really tough to recover from that. It's like locking yeah. and not catching them on the river. Like, it's um, oh. so this one's all yeah. uh, is Mojo Bass a lot better than the Bass X. Hmm. I bet. I wish I had a better answer for you. I've honestly haven't fished the Bass X. Um, I've looked at it, and I've I've looked at it in a store, but um, I'm sorry, I don't have a great answer. I know both. I know the Mojo series is very popular. I mean, it's a good series of rods um, at a good price point. But I don't know much about the Bass X line of their rods. To be honest. Yeah. So, Sigmar, there's nothing wrong with just getting in there and having fun so it just all depends on what your level of you know if you're a person that's just fine giving it your best and going out there and whatever happens but if uh you know, if you've got that like i said it all comes out of that balance of like what it what's important to you and how important it is so yeah absolutely i think tournament fishing for everybody is means something different and if it just means you're going to go out and have a wednesday nighter each week with a bunch of buddies that's totally fine i mean there's nothing wrong with that yeah, absolutely. So B Rock Bass is it better to this is a good question. Is it better to fish a co angler in upper level tournaments or fish as a boater in smaller tournaments? 
And if you can do a combination of both, I think that would be like the best of both worlds. Because as a boater, you're you're under a lot more pressure to make decisions on the fly, um, and you definitely need that experience long term. But you know, as a co-angler, you can learn a ton too if you get with the right guy. I mean, you can learn a lot in eight hours. So I think to, they're both important. I think fishing at your level in small trips as a boater is more important because you can mm-hmm. up. If you only do the co-angler thing, you're never going to learn what it's like to be the guy or the girl. I mean, the, the person yeah. in charge, the captain, the person that makes the decisions, the person that like, right. Like yeah. there's a, you can't find your style as a boater until you become a boater. Right. So, yeah. uh, but fishing strands or BFLs or opens as a co is a great experience. So I'd say, Fish local as a boater and sprinkle in what you can as a couple. Yeah, no, I think that's a good idea for sure. Fish trap lake that's up by uh, Cushing. Yeah, there, but yeah, Hunter, sorry I didn't get back to you. I just got his message <laughs> today, but I, Hunter, I was up there uh, this spring uh, with my girlfriend for one day. That was the only time I've ever been on that lake. So. Um, I've never been there since. I hadn't ever been there in the past, but we caught a lot of fish. I mean, that was more of like, uh, I think we were there in May. And so I caught a pile on a, a thunder cricket that day, um, kind of in emergent pad stem areas in the afternoon when the sun was getting on them. And then a couple of great ones on some docks. But I would imagine this time of year, it's going to be way different than when we were there in May. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe the dock bite would be all right. I would, if I were to go there now, I'd probably sample the docks. I'd sample like mellow pads that are probably topped out now, and then I'd try and find some offshore stuff. That's probably what I'd do. Yeah. yeah, it's not a big lake. You should be able to do all of them in the day. So Yeah, it was a good lake. We caught a lot. Yeah. I actually like Chaminade a lot better. I busted some big bags and club tournaments in Chaminade back in the day. Oh, really? <laughs> right around Shallow? the corner. Yeah, mostly shallow. Yeah. A lot of those are June tournaments, though, I think. So. Oh, okay. Bob, where are you? Bob is out of Hudson, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yep. I grew up in Egan, now I live in Hudson. Yeah, but now he's up at his cabin up in northern Minnesota right now. That's where he is. Yeah, I've been working from up here. Any tips for Coronas? Never been on it. Never been on it myself. I hear there's smallmouth. That's about all I know about it. Go follow Kent Middlestat on Instagram and slide into his DMs. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So let's 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 kind of jump back. We answered a bunch of questions. Um, the uh, going back to last year in the opens. How many, like how typically, I'm sure it changed a little bit, but how many days were you practicing and when would you get into town for an open? So I practiced like three to four days for each one of those. The only one that I practiced longer than that was on Smith Lake. I think I got five or six days in on Smith. And uh-huh. what I discovered is that was too much for me. Um, and part of that was because the bite was pretty good at Smith. Like, um like everywhere you catch bottom bass is basically the, but whether or not it was over two pounds was kind of the bigger deal there. So 
I ended up having way too much stuff and I ran around way too much the first day on um, and it kind of hurt me. But yeah, I'd say two to four was kind of the right number for me. Sure. So it hasn't been a big adjustment for you to these, although you went from getting like closer to four days down to what, like two and a half for the elites? Yeah. And this year with COVID, they got like virtual meetings. So we're actually getting three full days now. Okay. Which yeah, is not nice. that's a ball yeah. right, I think. I feel like that is I talked about this with somebody else. I feel like COVID, the one good thing could be the death of the pre-tournament meeting. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, if yeah. that's the death, like if I don't ever have to go to another BFL or Bass Nation like pre-tournament yeah. meeting with three hundred people, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been pretty slick. We get like a YouTube video and it's about eight minutes long and that's it. Nice. That's awesome. Because yeah. um, a lot of guys, for the people that don't know, opens have official practices, but they don't have any cutoff. You can literally right. go there and camp for two months leading up to the tournament. And guys yeah. do that. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, like I think uh, some of the Japanese guys last year that were in the running for the elites, I mean, they were there for a month at Grand, you know, that last one. And so for me, that I get it. Maybe for them, they're, you know, coming across seas, but for me, three to four days was about right. Yeah, absolutely. The B-Rock, you got a tournament on Coon. I used to fish Coon a lot. I haven't been there in a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of similar. You're kind of, you got, if you go to the east side of the lake, there's a decent opportunity to find some deep fish. Yeah. Um, where you find some of those hard bottom transition areas. Look for that deep Coon tail again. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's, I'm sure there's got to be milfoil in there now. Yeah, oil in that lake, but I haven't been there in so long. I haven't either. It used to be like my favorite lake, though, growing up mm-hmm. when I was fishing club tournaments. That um, the west side, yeah, the west side was my favorite. And I yeah, would the go side, the docks, the cattails, the reeds on the west exactly. side. Um, yeah, yeah. Typically, the reeds by the swimming beach on the public ice on the east side is always a safe bet. There's always some fishing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that milfoil changed so much each year on that west side. I mean, some years you could literally, like, punch matted milfoil, like, five feet of water. And other times, like, you needed to be offshore more, like, in that 8 to 12-foot range. Um, but I ha- honestly haven't been there in probably 8 to 10 years. It's the same thing. Uh, but, yeah, it used to be my favorite lake as a kid. Like, that's really yeah. – Yes. Yeah. It's a good lake. Uh, so – you started out like last year. You was it Toledo Bend or Sam Rayburn was the first one? Yeah, Toledo Bend. And you you cashed a solid check there. Mm-hmm. What were some of your like your eye opening like positive learning moments? Like what what like talk about the things that like you're planning and things that went well and how it turned like some of that stuff from last season. Yeah. So like. So each one was kind of unique. Like Toledo, I actually had a pretty tough practice, and I got stuck in a really bad blizzard in Kansas City and actually lost a day and a half of practice. So I think I only had two and a half days down at Toledo for practice and it was really tough, and I ended up only having like two areas. And what I learned from that tournament is even with a tough practice, it's sometimes not the worst thing in the world because if you can still find one or two areas to hunker down into, then 
you sometimes can still be all right. And that was kind of the trend for me last year that I learned a lot about myself on these bigger lakes is that I still to this day have not perfected that run and gun technique. Like some guys are really good at like a thrift or, or Van Dam that can pull up to an area, make five to 10 casts, move on to the next and, and they can do really well. And for me, I do way better when I actually hunker into an area and kind of learn it, whether that's, you know, on these bigger reservoirs, that's, you're still looking at like five to 10 mile stretches for the most part, but you're not like making long 30, 40 minute runs between areas necessarily. And so for me, I've done way better when I can hunker into an area. And that was kind of a trend throughout all of the opens last year. Like when I won, I, and all my stuff was within like Horse Creek. I don't know if, any, if you guys are familiar with Grand, but Horse Creek is like one big general area, mid lake. And that's where all my stuff was. And so um, for me, that, and that's kind of a learning. You know, I'm still learning how to practice that way because you want to cover ground and practice, um, but you also don't want to spread yourself too thin. And I kind of started learning that on the Mississippi River a little bit. Um, when I fished tournaments there, you can definitely spread yourself too thin if you're not careful. Um, and so I don't know, that's probably one of the biggest things I learned last year through the opens. Yeah. So Sycamore's got a good question that relates. In a three-day practice, how many spots do you typically have? And in trying to judge, like, how many boats you see around you and, like, whether you yourself or just kind of what's tip what's what's your typical experience yeah so in the opens it's way different than the elites because you got like more than double the field in the opens so um like in the opens you almost kind of need more spots than you maybe would in the elites because there's better chance of guys being on your stuff but um you know how many spots man that's so different depending on the tournament like toledo like i said i only had like two, three areas on Smith Lake, you know, I had 15 to 20 different areas that I could pull into. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Like, like on Champlain, I basically stayed in the north end and primarily in the inland sea. And so that, you know, that's still a pretty massive area. Um, but within those, within that area, I maybe had, three to five generals. That's all I was going to say. For me, like, I practice, I don't want to be very long to fully learn them. And so I think I never fully know what I'm on until after the first day of the tournament in a lot of cases. I think um, that's something i think that's one reason why i've had better day twos you know like all the opens last year i had better day twos than first day and then this year in the elite I've somewhat had that in the last couple of them i think the last three events have had better day twos than day one and i think one of my problems is i've tried to cover too much water on day one i've tried to hit like a lot of stuff that I didn't practice. And then on day two, I settle into an area and then, and then I do better. So there's a little bit of a trend there. Nice. So I guess, can you, is there anything through four or five tournaments now 
applying, I mean, did you have you kept that same strategy in practice, or do you feel like you've changed and it's not been working? Like in general, right? Like, what do you think the biggest difference is between your open season and your elite season this year? Um. Yeah, I've tried to stick to the same routine as last year. Um, Florida was a little bit of a weird deal. Like I've never had never been to Florida. I would I would fish a lot slower if I were to go back. I think you still got to cover a lot of ground in practice, but once you become in a few areas that have fish, like really bunker in in Florida is one thing I learned. Um, you know, like every tournament, everyone has its own little different scenarios. Like Champlain, I practiced entirely wrong. Like I just, I should have practiced more with smallmouth in my opinion. And I know some guys got pretty good largemouth. Um, but for me, that just wasn't working. So you're, you don't feel like fundamentally it's been a theme. It's more been small, should have zag type stuff where you've been just a half step in the wrong direction. That's kind of like, cause it's not like you're, you're not like, you're not at 85th every tournament, right? Like you yeah. kind of been like, like just a bite or two from where you need to be in a lot of them. So yeah. What's real interesting about now fishing the elites and all the live coverage we can go back and watch that after we're out of the tournament. And what I've learned is not in all scenarios, but in most cases, like I have practiced and or fished the tournament around a lot of the top, like 10 to 15 competitors Uh in a lot of, in Florida, like those canals that Whitaker fished. I mean, that's right where I was on day one. And I got in and out of there way faster than I should have. I should have just hunkered in and, so that was pretty eye-opening. Um, you know, Canterbury fished the same shoal that I was fishing on Champlain morning of day one, and I got in and out of here too fast. And it, I think about one gets small, and that was it. So it, that's one thing that's super eye-opening about having live coverage. And I think if if there was live coverage in the local time, we'd be seeing the same thing. I mean, you're probably – if you've been doing this long, if you have somewhat of an idea of where bass live or how to find mm-hmm. bass in the lake, but how you how you fish for them from a presentation standpoint, whether you zig or zag, is kind of what separates you from doing well or, or doing mediocre. Yeah, I definitely feel like St. John's is a super oddball. Like being not yeah. Florida, those extreme wind conditions, the extra days off. The tide moving, like pulling the water yeah. out. I feel like that was. It, yeah, it was weird. I had one spring down there that I had to myself. Actually, it was a pretty small area, and I literally walked twenty to twenty-five pounds just swimming around me on day two, and I couldn't get a single one to bite. So it's just like, and it's because the water had dropped like a foot and a half on top of their head. So there's little scenarios like that, that as someone that's like following the tournament, those, you know, you see a guy finish in 80th and you think, well, he wasn't on anything or around anything, but there's all these little things that happen throughout a tournament day that can either make or break you. You know, if I figure out a way to get those fish to bite 
than maybe you have a day like Patrick Walters did. I think on day two, he had over 20 pounds. And, and I talked to him about how he was catching them, and it sounded like it was like very similar to how I was doing, but I couldn't figure out how to catch It is a similar story of Polinick, not that we feel bad for him, but on St. Lawrence on the, the fourth day, uh, he stopped on it. Like he caught a couple big ones on day three coming in on, in the river on this flat. And he said he went there on day four and you could still see him, but with all the wind, it stirred up so much algae and moss and stuff that you could not, you could still see the fish, but he literally mm-hmm. present a lure in a manner that a smallmouth would bite it. Cause it would just get gummed up no matter what he threw. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder what spot that was. Cause him and I started 50 yards from each other on day one. Um, and in the river, like not far from each other. And we sure. caught a couple, small ones and then I actually went back to that area and caught like a three and a half and then he said he's like you said he stopped and caught two big ones late on the third day I, I wonder if it was that area or not yeah does that like so what like as a rookie you pull up and you pull up and you're 50 yards from a guy that's won there before and it's top 10 yeah. is that like oh maybe I figured this out this time like what, what's going through your head like yeah I mean it wasn't a bad thing you know like and then He's such a cool dude. I've gotten to know him pretty well. So we're, I mean, I, I didn't pull right in on him, but we were probably 50 to a hundred yards. And we started talking a little bit and he were, he's like, where'd they all go? And I don't know. And he said, well, you found a good area. Cause in the past there's been a lot of three to five pounders sitting here. So that was like, okay, I, that's good to know. <laughs> so, so that's why I stopped there again later on day one and caught, Pretty good one there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely gives you some confidence that you can look at a map, you can go out there, you can do your scanning, and you can find productive areas in a place you've never been before. So, Sure. Uh, so this is kind of – before we get too far behind the questions, uh, Leo's like he wants to know your impression on the 2020 Extreme Rods. Yeah, they're good rods. Um, I've had – I only have one of them. It's a seven foot medium heavy casting rod. And I've been throwing a tube on it quite a bit, actually, like on the river mm-hmm. uh, with like kind of like 14 pound test. It's a little bit of a lighter action, a little bit lighter medium heavy than like some of the other medium heavies I've used in the past. Um, those guides are real rigid. They're actually made by Daiwa. Um, and that's what makes the rod more sensitive. They don't flex at all like your typical guides would. But they're good rods. I mean, they're I've been used. I've only been able to use that one though. Um, I would like to try one of their spinning rods. I think that could be like uh, like neg rigging or uh, shape head, that sort of thing, where you maybe need a little bit more sensitivity. I think that could be a, a good setup. So, what are most of the rods that you're running then? Um, I've always been a big Avid guy. Like even prior to working with St. Croix, I've used their Avid series like religiously. Um, just we used to go up to their rod shop every spring and I'd always buy a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've been using quite a few of the Legend Elite rods. I've got, I think I've got three or four of their spinning rods. Um, and then I've been throwing their cranking rods too. Their mo- actually in the Mojo series, they've got a seven-two. I think it's a heavy moderate, so it's like a chatterbait rod. And I've been throwing 
Chatterbait probably more than I ever have in the past this year. I, I really didn't throw it a lot before this year, but when we went to St. John's and then uh, Gunnersville, I threw it a lot um, and kind of got real familiar with that rod. Um, the one I do have one right here that I've been throwing that spin bait on. It's uh, St. Croix. I don't know. Probably won't be able to see it, but it's a seven six. Maybe you'll be able to see it. Seven six medium light, extra fast. And I've been throwing out at the St. Lawrence. I was throwing this spin bait quite a bit. Um, the Rashi spin bait. A perch color. Perch color. Yeah, you can see kind of all the hook rash on that thing. I was throwing it quite a bit out there. Um, but this seven six medium light. I mean, I, I'm not a spin bait or spy bait expert by any means, but um, it seemed to work really well. You can make really long casts with it, and then when you do hook up, it's got a good bend, fair box bend, kind of like a crankbait rod would. And so I ended up catching my biggest fish on it out there and fought it for what seemed like forever. And um, I had one hook right in sales and was able to get it in. But that's been a really key rod for me. The last couple of weeks I've been working. Yeah, on a spy bait, are you doing straight fluoro or braided fluoro or what's so when I, I went up to Malax for a for like half a day before I went out to um, New York just to kind of mess around with that a little bit. And I I on Malax I was throwing all floral, thinking that was like gonna be what I needed to do. But I couldn't hardly cast for the while with it. Um like on a long bomb cast, it just wasn't getting out there as far as I wanted it to. So I actually went down to, I think it's 10-pound braid to an 8-pound fluorocarbon leader. And I've been throwing it on that new suffix, 131. It's a little bit different than the 130 or 832. It's more round. It has 13 strands. So it creates a little bit more of a round um, profile in the 832. And it seems to cast a little better. Than that other stuff. Um, is, that, is that something you, that 132 are you using that on a lot of things or just spinning rods or what do you think it's where does it excel? Only used it on this spy bait or spin bait rod so far. It's a sinking grade because it does have one strand of that Gore Tex in it. Okay. So it's not like your preferred like froggin braid necessarily, but it'd be good for like drop shot, head rigging. You know, five eight. You could, I suppose, you could punch with it on a higher press if you wanted to. Um, but I'll use that. Well, they got a Pro Mix braid, which is like um, a braid that's supposed to keep the color longer, and that's a floating braid. Let me throw flags on that. Nice. So, B Rock also, now what was your first bass boat? Uh, I'll, I'll go. If, um, my first one was a 1987 Ranger. I think it was a, I can't even remember, three, 392 or something like that. It had a 150, I can't remember what kind of engine it was. But I, I got it in college. That's what we fished all of our college tournaments out of. So nice. it was a good platform. Yeah, the first one that I owned was a, was a 94 Aries, 19-footer. But I've fished quite a few tournaments out of a 
16 foot rebel with like a 115 or 120 OMC Evan Road on it. Like I remember being down in Winona and getting like those giant cruiser wakes and just been like, man, this oof. Like that 16 foot boat. I mean, it would fly, but it was a squirrely little bugger. Like, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I had a 15 foot smoker craft with like a 30 horse on it. And that's what I started a tiller, and that's why I started club tournaments out of. Um, for I probably fished tournaments out of that for like three, four years, and then got that ranger. Yeah, so I think it's an interesting question. Sycamore, and I think generally, like, so there is all this live coverage. Do you find yourself adjusting your bait selection? We can't. Legally, we cannot watch any of that stuff while we're okay. still in the tournament. So, so like, you know, even, like even the social media clips or anything? Yeah, or? So like if we are on social media posting something and we, like, come across Bass Nation, we literally just got to, like, keep scrolling by it. Like, you can't, you can't, like, at, you can't, like, make an effort to go digging for information or, like, sit and pause because because i mean i'll go back after the tournament and i see they're posting that stuff all the time during the events and you can't um yeah technically so unless you have a conversation with a fellow angler you're not going to find out what's going on so like if if right you and caleb are talking which is completely legal and he's like man i couldn't believe it i was drop shot in practice but today they were smoking a tube right that's something you'd be like all right maybe i better try that tube tomorrow right or something like that yeah, so like good example. That's day two at Champlain. Um, you know, I had caught a few on a jerk bait in practice, and kind of knew that was somewhat of a deal. But I talked to Patrick Walters after day one, and he was asking me how I was doing. Obviously, didn't have a good day one, and and he's like, yeah, "I think you need to throw jerk bait more tomorrow." <laughs> like he's like, "Just give it a try. Like give it some more time. Like than you probably did today." And literally, I threw a jerk bait like all day for smallies outside of an hour, and that's how I caught my bag. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. So Hunter says he watched the video where you were talking about the Tokyo rig. I assume it's you because I don't think I've ever talked about the Tokyo rig. Um, yeah. And he said it helped him catch some bass. What that's you got cool. any like? What 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 have you liked about the Tokyo rig, or where do you feel like it excels? Or yeah, I think um, like your bite your bite to land ratio seems to be pretty good because you don't have a weight in the way they basically get all up. So that's good. Um, it's a little bit different presentation when you're like pitching wood on the river. And that's kind of what I did a lot with it this spring. It seems to snake through wood really well. Um, and then I actually was throwing it out on the St. Lawrence a little bit for smallmouth. They came out with a, the Nico hook version which here at Upcast and I was throwing it on a spinning rod and like uh, I had a little barrel weight for the weight and I was throwing a tube on it actually and I've been messing around with the Ned rig on it a little bit because they've got the finesse Nico it's got the little two barbs on the hook sure. and I've caught some on, on the uh, Ned but I actually did better on the tube when I was drifting out on the St. Lawrence. Like I would pick up, I'd throw a drop shot, an actual Ned, 
and then like if I wanted to like make one more last drift, I would go with that um, Tokyo rig with the Nika. And I actually caught some. I think caught a three pounder the first day on it that I ended up weighing in. Hmm. Nice, interesting. But it seems yep. to have really good bottom contact. Like it gets down there and it stays down there really well. Like, like I don't know. I don't know the physics behind it, but it seems to really stay down on the bottom really well. So, like in Minnesota, do you find yourself using it on weed lines and things like that? And the way you haven't messed around with it much on weed lines yet. So you're mostly you using it pitching shallow. I mean, majority it, of it pitching shallow cover is where you've, I mean, obviously yeah. it can be used other places, but that's where you found it to be best so far. <laughs> yeah, I think if you had like the fish pinned down pretty well in a school, like and you're trying to throw them something different, you could definitely do that. I don't know if it would make like a great search bait necessarily. Um, I think you're better off throwing like a heavy Texas rig if you're doing that. But um, if you kind of know where they're at and want to maybe clean up, you can throw it. Like you can throw a wacky rig on it actually. And that works pretty well. Yeah. Interesting. So what are your thoughts on the rings? Do you use the ring DWGs at all? I do. Yeah, I've started using them this year. They're good. I mean, they, they, they do the trick. Have you used them at all? Yeah, I I started using them, and I've been super impressed. I've used them in several yeah. of the videos this year, flipping. and Yeah. Last year, I did a couple of videos grass flipping, and I had, like, not like 50% land ratio where I was losing them. And like this year it's been like darn near a hundred percent. Like it's yeah. granted. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm a believer. And like, I don't know either. Uh, it's a good hook too, just on its own, you know, even outside of that ring, it's a sharp hook. So it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> so I signed up for the, uh, the email notification because Omnia was out of stock for the mm -hmm. EWGs and a lot of places are honestly right now. And, uh, I got the email at 4.30. I ordered like nine packs for whitefish. <laughs> so because I know I'm going to hike up there. And yeah. then I posted it in Bass Heads, and within a couple hours, they were completely sold out of everything they had in stock again. Oh, man. Yeah, they seem to be selling really well right now. I have I heard that you can get them directly at the VMC site, and they are in stock there. So if people are looking, uh, yeah. go to the VMC site. Ever fished Crystal and Burnsville? I think we've both fished it a ton. Yeah, I fished it a lot growing up. I haven't probably been there in like seven, eight years, but I haven't yeah. been there since Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Is it still good? It's uh, yeah. I mean, I don't get out there a ton, but I mean, it's probably in a little bit of a downswing as far as like just watching some of the like leagues and stuff to go there. But it's still one of the better lakes. Like I'll yeah. get over Marion any day, in my opinion, as far as a fun thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. but um, yes, always like a gem of a lake. Uh, I think the fact that it has a small access helps keep it relatively good. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. it's the access with this COVID. Like back in April, I would go there on a Tuesday at three o'clock and have to wait in line to get on the lake. Wow, yeah, so um, it's kind of like O'Dowd and some of those lakes, it's gonna cycle as when people talk about it and a couple big fish get there, you see some 30 pound or 20 some pound bags come out on a, a Tuesday nighter or something like that. And then it's going to get for a little bit and then a year, you know, so, but it, it's a good lake and it, there's a lot of stuff to do out there. So I think it's a fun lake to go and practice on and learn. So. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked it. 
state would you recommend to throw at this time here in central to northern Minnesota? Um, I mean, this time of year, you can really find them grouped up offshore pretty good on certain lakes. I mean, yeah, Minnesota seems like there's always somewhat of a one-two punch. Like you can, or maybe three different deals. Like you can get on your offshore weed lines. You can, if there's milfoil, that's kind of more your mid-range stuff. And then there always seems to be some sort of dock bite or some shallow bite going, depending on the lake, I guess. Um, but what would I throw? I mean, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets by saying throwing a craw tube <laughs> on a on a Texas rig. I mean, that's that or or I mean, even a ribbon tail worm, a straight tail worm, senko on a Texas rig on your weed lines. Um, that's what I was gonna say because I was gonna say a jig worm or a Texas rig, seven inch power worm or a yum dinger or something like that. Like yeah. Yeah. Cover water, you can fish it through the weeds, you can fish the edges, you can fish the shallow, you can fish it deep. It's going to Yeah. Yeah, and you can bring that Texas rig up shallow, fish milfoil, fish docks, pads. If you got rice, you know, maybe throw a frog in the mix. But I don't know. The guys are saying that the, the stream keeps dropping for everybody, which is weird. And I've noticed like our live viewers will go like, we'll be up 20 some, 30, and all of a sudden it'll plummet to 50. And then, like, so, oh, really? so it must be something on YouTube's end uh, going on. So that okay. sucks. So hopefully, it stables out, or otherwise, we can catch some of this on the replay. And then, if not, for those of you who haven't watched before, I do put this out on an audio version. Uh, so tomorrow morning, mid morning, lunchtime, there'll be an audio version, and I'll drop a link down in a pinned comment. So if you want to download the podcast, listen to it, the you know, soothing tones of Bob Downey while you're working out or walking your dog or driving to your next derby, uh, yeah. that's an option as well. So thanks, there you guys, you for popping back on, even though it's a struggle. But I don't think it's anything on my end, and uh, I appreciate you guys hanging yeah. in there. I hope it's not on my end. It might be. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I don't think it's the streaming service. Uh, yeah, sounds like it's YouTube. Um, so we finished like the Northern swing and I'm guessing I hoped you were going to make a little more hay than you did. Uh, what are your thoughts on the fall swing? Are you excited? Not excited? Which lake are you looking at for most like, what are your thoughts on the the remaining four or five tournaments now, especially now they just got a Gunnersville. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping – I mean, we got St. Clair left up north. That will be all smallmouth. Um, man, I would, I would love to get out of there with, a, you know, a, another good check. Um, yeah, and like points. you said, what's that? <laughs> and points. Yeah, and points, right. Yeah, I mean, I definitely – St. Lawrence was all right outside of the last day. Champlain, you know – Man, it reminded me so much of home, and for whatever reason, I could not figure it out until that that second day. And I, I, I had kind of figured out that deal in practice, but I didn't run it enough on the first day. Sure. So wish I would have had that first day back. Um, beyond St. Clair will be really interesting. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to set up to be somewhat grinds like Grand was last year where I won, and I don't know if I'll just be able to get up shallow and keep a flipping stick in my hand and, and kind of be in my comfort zone. That's kind of what I'm hoping. Um, and from talking to guys, it sounds like that definitely could be a possibility. Um, the 
two that I'm kind of looking forward to that I really don't know if it's going to be really on or not is Chickamauga and Gunnersville. If there's like any sort of yellow grass, like flipping frogging and punching deal, I feel like I'll at least feel comfortable doing that. It's like one of my favorite things to do in Minnesota in that like September, early October time period is just get up shallow and mats and throw a frog around. I don't know if we're going to be there too early for that bite to really be like on fire or how, or if it's looking to, even if it is going, if it will be a complete grind, I don't quite know. Sure. Uh, I would, those two I'm probably most excited about, to, you know, just because there's going to be grass involved and um, potential maybe to pump some mats and throw a frog around. Yeah. I think if you look back at the Costa championship from a year or two ago, you'll, you'll, <laughs> It will confirm your suspicion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I hear you. Uh, Connor says, I saw my story, those Z-Mans. Uh, yeah, I just wanted a few different colors. I'm a big fan. I'm just going to play around with those. He's asking about these some baits I ordered from Omnia for whitefish. And I ordered a couple of these, several packs of these hula sticks, which yeah. I kind of like these as like a beefed-up Ned or as a Nico or a drop shot, just something a little bigger. Yeah. Um, and then uh, grab some of these, thinking, hoping to flip some grass up at Whitefish. And the, there you know, go. In these last weekend, <laughs> right on uh, Seth Fighter's line, he, he called what, it. Yeah, what is that? It's a striking punch bug. Punch bug. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a really nice little. Comp- you might. A little smaller than a craw tube. It's shorter. Okay. Yeah. Smaller. So it's like a solid body, ribbed like a craw tube, but solid. Okay. And then got like rage pinchers on it, so it's a yeah. little smaller. So uh, I kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. So and that's definitely was one of the baits that Seth was pitching when he was flipping the grass. Okay. He was definitely using his jig, but when he was out in the milfoil, this if you guys weren't sure, this is definitely what he was selling. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, the Ned that I was throwing on the St. Lawrence, it was a smaller one of. But it had the tentacles on it, like the smaller version of what I think you just had, baby menace or whatever, or the. Well, it, no, it was the Ned. It was like, it was like the Ticklers, but the smaller one. Yeah, yeah, the Tickler Z. I like those for sure. That's yeah. like, that's. Yeah. For, I don't know if it's better or the fish like it, but to me, having those little tentacles give me more yeah. color in my head that there's actually some action. Yeah, one hundred percent like the Tickler Z for an actual Ned. Yeah, that's how I, I agree. That's how I caught two of my – what's that? Sorry. He was asking, like, these max and generals, and I do think at times they make a big difference. Like, if I'm going to turn yeah. uh, a lot of times I'm going to throw that max scent instead of a dinger or something like that. Yeah. If I feel like I know there's fish there and soaking it. Like, uh, day two last year on Island Lake, I was skipping a four-inch wacky general – Really, on and we know you know how tough it was to get bites out there. Yeah, it was brutal. I mean, what one guy caught limits both days out there. So yeah, that was his. I mean, it was so brutal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Shadow says, if my hat starts its own channel, he's out. Uh, <laughs> I put it with my visor. Um, <laughs> I could make you one if you want, Bob. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's maybe that's the swagger you need for the setting. 
There ain't there are not many visor guys on tour. Maybe that's what I need. You and Bernie, maybe you can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, serious angler on Instagram asks, which tourney will have bigger weights? Do you think fork or chip? I think fork. Hundred percent fork. I think is going to blow it away. I think chick's going to be tough. I think, I think it could be too. Yeah. yeah, fork hopefully will be late enough in the year that maybe the bite will be decent. I think yeah. there's just so many big ones there to begin with that. Yeah, like it's just because it's slotted and the fish don't get weighed in, even though there's a lot of guides and tournament pressure. I think it's a different kind of pressure without getting yanked so much. So I, I you have to tournament. Like I don't think, like I think a chickamauga 12, 13 pounds a day probably will be pretty good. <laughs> You're right. Fork, I don't think that's going to hang. <laughs> so no, no. Uh, B Rock asked, "Do I have any tournaments coming up?" So next week I go up to White. Actually, Saturday. Friday night or Saturday morning, I'm going up to Whitefish to fish the Bass Nation Minnesota TOC, uh, which I've finished second in too many times to count. And uh, so hopefully this is the redemption year for that. Uh, and then yeah. after that, a week, a week off, and then I go up to Vermilion and fish the Northern Divisional, which I'm super stoked about. That's going to be an awesome tournament. So Yeah, it will be. So they're going to still get it on, even with everything going. I mean, There's been – not any wavering that I've seen at all from the planning Good. states from the Bass Nation. And I think they've had some of the other ones. Oh, no, have they? I think like some of the other regions have had theirs, I think, but, okay. but the, yeah, yeah. I think maybe that we're on a, on a reservation and sovereign nation. I think maybe that'll make it a little easier. <laughs> it might. It might. Yeah. Those would be fun tournaments. Yeah. I'm like mildly excited for whitefish and super stoked for vermilion. Uh, Adderman yeah. has a man crush on you. So, <laughs> what's what's up, Bill? I like Bill. I went to I was at regionals with Bill uh, um, a couple years ago down in Lake of the Ozarks. It was a good yeah. time. You know, he lives across the street from me. <laughs> oh, does he? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a good dude. I ran into him on Waconia this year. He looks like he said that, but yeah. Yeah, I had a, took a kid out there. It was a fun day. Uh, Adam says, which elite vent are you least looking forward to in the remaining season? Oh, man. I mean, Santee, I think, is a wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went there after the Classic this year for a couple days just to kind of ride around and figure out how to navigate that place. It's, I mean, there's cypress trees everywhere. And that was more of a pre-spawn deal, so it's going to be nothing like that. But yeah, you were you were scouting for the original time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So at least I feel somewhat comfortable running around. But um, I don't know. I mean, you're gonna. That's going to be an interesting deal. I, I don't know if they get offshore there, um, or if it's going to be that time of year where you kind of got fish somewhat transitioning back into areas. I mean, I think. I think it'll be one around grass or cypress trees. I don't know that it's going to be a real big offshore deal, but um, that's kind of a wild card. Talking to Patrick Walters, he's, he's, he thinks, you know, guys will still catch them all right, but it's going to be a grind. Like you're going to – you're probably not going to get much more than 10 bites a day. So, Yeah, so guys, balling, other guys, it seems like YouTube's got going out. Uh, sounds like refresh and sign back in is the best option. Uh, sounds like something on YouTube's in. Sorry about that. 
Uh, so you mentioned pre-practice. Have you pre-practiced for any events besides Santee? I've, I've been to Chickamauga. Um, I spent like five days on Chickamauga this spring after the classic, kind of waiting to see what was going to happen with our schedule. And I was stuck, well, kind of somewhat stuck down there. And I just decided to stay for five days and had like five of the best spring fishing days I've ever had. So that was pretty cool. But it'll be nothing like that. I mean, there was no grass up at the time. Um, and then I've been, you know, been to Gunnersville with the Classic. Never been to Fork. And then I've been to the St. Cl- or I've been to St. Clair one time in college. We went there, but it was in October, and it was like ten years ago. So I don't really remember a lot about it. Yeah. So I think Bill's got an interesting question. I think this is something. So he says, are the elites an old boys network, or are they pretty accepting, or what? How do you feel like the the uh, the acceptance, or you know, I mean, they're not hazing you, are they, or anything? Or <laughs> well, honestly, it's been like better than expected, really. And I don't know if that has something to do with this new group of guys that is kind of banded together last year and has continued to this year. Um, but I don't get that sense at all like at these campgrounds i've been invited to dinners with different anglers next door quite often like um everybody's been super welcoming and i don't really i mean there's obviously guys that are going to network together and help each other out but that's to be expected you know you get guys that pair up or two three four guys that pair up and share information but that that you know always happened so um no, I, it, they've been super welcoming, really. It's been a good experience from that standpoint. And I don't – I mean, I have no firsthand experience, but just from what I hear of interviews and I follow the sport pretty closely, I feel like three, four, five years ago that wasn't necessarily the case. I agree. I agree. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't have firsthand experience either, like you say, with that um, – with the elites like four or five years ago. But, yeah, right now it's like – I don't know. Everybody's super cool and pretty welcoming. I feel like guys like Seth and a few other guys that kind of hung around have made comments that have eluded to such that like this is a completely different feeling than it was. Yeah. 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 I've heard the same thing, and I, you know, I have no no uh, complaints about that. Everybody's been really cool. Sure. Uh, so Connor says if, if both either one of us could only throw one lure for the rest of our tournament seasons, what would it be? Um, I mean, this year, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you could throw a jig at St. Clair, but, (laughs) um, you know, at least in Minnesota, I mean, you feel like you can lock a jig in your hand and do some damage around the rest of the country. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, maybe a Texas rig, you could do, you know, you could punch with that. You could do a lot of different things with it. But, um, but to me, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like you crossed St. Clair off the list. And I was thinking, I'm pretty sure Bob's going to say, I mean, you're going to say an all-terrain jig of some kind, and I'm going to say a yeah. jig. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to put a flipping jig, a hybrid, you know, an Archie-style jig that I feel like will come through a little bit of everything. I can drag it deep. I like Yeah. A scrub or a speed crown on the back of it, and like if I like, I'm gonna be a one rod Todd, I'm gonna go down with a jig in my hand, <laughs> yeah. And at least I don't know what it 
what it's like in the rest of the country. But here in Minnesota, I mean, from late August, September, and October, I mean, that's like what you got to be throwing to get some big bites, I feel like. I feel like almost every six-pounder I've caught in Minnesota has been on a jig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, and did, were you throwing a jig a bit on Grand when you won? Yeah, I was mixing in a, a beaver and a jig, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I was throwing on Champlain for largemouth. That's what I caught. My one that I did catch over for the second day came on an AT jig. Yeah. You could definitely throw Texas rigs, shadow, and things like that. But, like, to me, the beauty of a jig is the efficiency that it brings. If you can get them to yeah. bite, you're not fixing worms. You're not doing it. You lock it on there. And, yeah. like, if they're biting it, you're catching them. And you're just – and you're going to get a big bite. And I think that's the beauty of, I mean, if you're going to really, and I can do more things, I think with a jig, as far as swimming it, stroking it, dragging it, than I can day in and day out. Yeah. As long as you got the right head shape, you can fish pretty efficiently through most anything. Uh, B-Rock says, what age did you guys start fishing club tournaments? Uh, I started like when I was 13, 14 years old in the junior club. Um, at the time, it was the Minnesota Federation. And um, I think I did that through age 17. And then when I turned 18, I joined an adult club and did that through um, really kind of through my college years and then fished college stuff too. But. I don't know. If, I don't know what clubs are around Laconia. I mean, there's. Oh, club? I forget which one were you in. Uh, I started out in Lakes area, and then up until last year, I was in Castaways with like Carl and sure. Tim, Andy, and Steve Radswitz. Sure. Cool. Yeah. So for me, I'm a little bit older than Bob. They did not have junior program when I was fishing. So I was fishing. My dad fished in Gopher uh, for years. Yes. And uh, he, he fished it since like late seventies, early eighties. He's been in that club until just a few. Wow. And uh, I, when I was younger, I would practice. Like when I got old enough to like go and spend all day in the boat, I'd go help and practice in club tournaments. And I would travel as I got a little older. You know, started ten, twelve, or maybe twelve, thirteen. I'd start going with him, and then he'd fish a tournament, and I'd be like hanging out at the campsite or whatever. And then like if the resort had a rental boat, I'd go out in the rental boat fishing all day or if uh, somebody had an extra boat sometimes they'd let me take their boat out and go trolling motor only and then i'd start keeping my and i'd bring them in and like weigh them you know even though i wasn't in the tournament and i was like pretty good and then like i don't remember exactly i think 14 or 15 they finally let me start fishing a little bit like it would start out with like oh we're short a guy you know can can rich fish this tournament just one time as a non-boater to fill the spot right so that we kind of and then I think when I turned like 15, they let me kind of fish a full season. <clears throat> and uh, so I fished in the adult club. And I think by the time I was 19, I was president. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, so I fished yeah, that club for years and years. And now, um, so yeah, I've been fishing the Federation stuff for, I mean, I think I fished my first state tournament in Winona in 97. Cause I think, I qualified all the years in high school, but I never wanted to miss high school football. Okay. Uh, so, but when I went to college and I wasn't playing football, I, uh, 
I decided that I would skip class and go to the tournaments. My very first one was down in Winona. Okay. There you go. There's almost every state tournament since then, except for a couple times where I've been double booked on some regionals so they couldn't make it. So Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to start. And it's a good honestly, like I'd probably still be doing it if I hadn't had the year I had last year. I mean, that's what I'd be doing. It's a good I mean, it's a good way to still learn even if you've been doing it for 15, 20 years. Yeah, because last year you were still fishing the club. Yeah. Bass totally. Nation. You, you were at the state tournament last year with me. You finished ninth. I finished second, right? Yeah. Uh, the regional, and you decided to focus on the elites instead of fishing yeah. probably tournaments with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was a hard decision. I would love to be up on the million. So I'm not sure of clubs in Waconia, B-Rock, but slide into my Facebook or Instagram DMs and I'll help find somebody for you. Like I, I know who to talk to to get in the right direction. So yeah. So Connor and B-Rock, you guys should probably follow each other on Instagram. Um, this is kind of a funny comment. Yeah. So maybe you don't know the backstory, but Dom, I. So day one, I'm relaxed. The year we had the state tournament up there, he was a co-angler, and he just waxed me out of the back of the boat. I think he had like 19 pounds, and I had like back graph. I dropping him on him behind you. And then I think he was with uh, Bill on day two, and he he did well out of Bill's boat, and I think he went to regionals that year. But Dom's yeah. good. Dude. I've kept in touch with him here and there. He's a good fisherman, good young yeah, fisherman. I, I just missed that one. That one makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I didn't do well. I had a decent I had a, day. A, a, a mediocre bag the first day that helped me bad, and then I had a pretty monster bag the second day. It just wasn't quite enough. So yeah. Cool. Um, do you have any plans to pre-practice any of the upcoming events? Or are you just going to do your three days? I'm probably just going to do my three days. I mean, after St. Clair, uh, I'm trying to think. I'll have been to all of them outside of Fork, um, okay. obviously at different times of the year. But, uh, so I'll, I'll probably just go and fish the pra- you know, practice that we have. Cool. Um, and that, yeah. and Fork's not big either, but it's also not super easy to navigate. So I know a lot of people complain yeah. that. I don't know if complained, but commented at Bass Fest that it wasn't real big, but you couldn't really cover it real fast. And that's, I mean, I've yeah. actually fished quite a few times when I was younger, and I, I would agree with that. Yeah, um, that's what I've heard too. That'll be interesting for sure. Are you fishing anything else? Like, like during the breaks? Are you doing anything? I mean, besides just fun fishing, or you got any other? Are you dipping into local dirt? What's that? Are you trying to dip dip into any local derbies to bankroll anything? <laughs> yeah, no, I really haven't. Um, I've thought about it, but I've got enough going on back home to kind of, um, you know, with work and then, you know, just try and spend time with family and, and yeah. that sort of thing, friends and family back home. You know, when you're on the road that much, you know, your time back home, becomes even a little bit more precious than it was before. So, um, you know, in the past, you know, I'd be trying to fish a tournament every weekend, and now that's changed a little bit, but that's okay. Um, I'm still out on the water quite a bit, just not in 
experiment mode. Sure. Back home. Cool. Yeah. So anything else, I guess, that you're excited about or like new stuff or is there anything from like, I guess you talked about like the new uh, Tokyo rigs from BMC. Is there anything else that came out from ICAST that like you've been kind of excited about or trying to work into your arsenal or? I think um, those crossover bands from BMC, they've uh-huh. got um, the ability to both Nico and Wacky Rig with them. I've been using those quite a bit. I, those are pretty cool. Um, I think it's a good system. Um, some of the new DT colors I've been messing around with, I think have some potential. It's one thing I'm trying to do more of is, is throw a crankbait. You know, growing up in Minnesota, I just, man, you catch so many pike on them. I just didn't throw them a whole lot. But it's something I've done a lot more in the last couple of years, especially this spring. I threw a DT6 like the entire classic outside of chatterbait here and there. Um, and at Chickamauga, that's really what I caught a lot of my bigger fish on. But um, nice. so new crankbait colors. Um, i trying to think what else. BMC's got kind of a cool uh, swim bait head that I've thrown a little bit. Um, they kind of they came out with some new colors of the Largo Shed, but I haven't really messed around with them much. I've thrown the original colors in it. It's a good swim bait. It's, it's a lot nice. more durable than like a Kytec. A little bit different action though too. Um, I really am excited to try that 131 braid a little bit more. The t- I mean, I threw it a lot at the St. Lawrence and was very impressed with it. So I'm excited to throw it on, you know, like get some 30 pound and throw it for swim jigs and that sort of thing. I think it's going to be a really good braid. Sounds like a really good like Kytec braid and yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess it'd be interesting to see on the finesse stuff because I guess my one like I love everything about braid to floor on spinning rods except for rocks. Like because yeah. like when you bang it, it's really hard to pop it. And now if my braid's sinking, is it going to make it even snag more, or is it like I don't know, like in around sand and gravel and weeds, I think all in, but in super snaggy, that'd be my only maybe yeah. hesitation on that. But yeah, the eight thirty two, if you've used it, that's a sinking braid too. Um, yeah. So that's pretty similar. But yeah, I agree. It definitely is not easy to pop off a rock when you get hung. So it says the uh, sixteen foot and a half. Deep V90, good for local. Absolutely. That's a great, yeah. as long as it's got a live well, for 90% of the tournament lakes in Minnesota and Wisconsin, that's a great boat to fish tournaments out of. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if yeah. you can if you can set it up where you got a little bit more of a, you know, a lot, you see a lot of guys, like, or people, when they get into it, they'll, they'll modify and, and build a little platform up front, so it's a little bit more like a deck up front, uh, depending on the style you have. Uh, yeah. That's about the only thing. That I would say maybe would be nice to do is just make sure you got a good fishing platform up in the front if it's not there already. So yeah, get a good trolling motor on there and you'll be just fine. Yeah. Yeah, Batman. He's, he's hating on the bass cats. <laughs> I've been running one last seven years, eight years. What was the, did you? Was your first one a Pantera? Was it a Saber or what was your Pantera two? Yeah. 
Yep, that's what I fished the opens out of last year. And I, I mean, that to me was, I mean, I think yours is similar. Do you have a classic? I have a classic, a little bit older style, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, those for a 19 foot boat, I mean, in my honest opinion, that it's as good as it gets. And it's about all you need for around here, too. And honestly, you can take it on bigger bodies of water, too. You can fish more lax pretty comfortably in it. Most of the time, it's pretty good. And then every once in a while, you're like, oh, man, it'd be nice to have a Puma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like this year, I'm running the Era. And I will say, like, out on the St. Lawrence and Champlain, it's definitely been nice to have that extra foot, foot and a half. Yeah. But like, it was interesting. I mean, it, it comes down to like knowing your boat and not to drive it. Cause like I was up at Leech and it blew both days out of the south. And like, I made a boy from Walker every day. And uh, most of the guys would like go around Stony Point and head south and hug the shoreline. And I was just like, going like hammer down. But like, if you know how to drive it and like, uh, yeah. Yeah. You got to be smart about it and take your time when you need to. But, um, sometimes when they're bigger, you can almost run the troughs and it's almost easy. Again. I kind of took it slow until I could get the angle right. To yeah. get go, and then it was pretty easy sailing. But there was a lot of guys that just tried to full send it and they broke their trolling motors and all kinds of stuff. And like, and yeah. have, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you run birds? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on mega versus regular side imaging? I think it is better, to be honest. I mean, it's um, a little more clear, a little more crisp, I guess you could say. Um, it, and I'll run, like, because I'll flip back and forth between, like, I think it's 400 and then 800, 800 and, whatever it is. and mega. And I don't see myself using 800 a lot, but I'll use 400 if I'm, like, scanning out further, like 200 or something like that. And then when you really kind of want to dial in and get a closer view, like 100 or less, I'll have it on Mega. Um, and I never had like the old 360, but I've got Mega 360 this year. And it's pretty pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty highly detailed um, when you get it dialed in. And I won't say like it's a deal where every day you go out and it's going to help you catch more fish, but there are certain scenarios where it will. Yeah. And I would say like uh, the mega is definitely better, but it's not to the point where like mm-hmm. traditional side imaging is not useful. Like uh, it's not between seeing a rock pile and not seeing it. It's maybe being able to tell the definition of the rocks or you might be able to pick up a fish here and there that you didn't see or like yeah. to get you a better picture. But I don't think you're going to miss a lot with traditional like no. With a fine right. detail, you're not going to miss a rock pile. You're not going to miss a rock pile. You're not going to miss a weed clump, right? Like, obviously, right. be fairly obvious. You might just not interpret it in as much detail. Uh, I think totally. it's good. And yeah. so, like, if you don't have it, like, and it's, money's not a big issue, I would make sure you get mega. But don't, like, if you've got an older helix that, like, oh, it's junk, I'm not learning. I mean, like, it's still going to tell you a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, you're you're dead on. I mean, the mega might help out a little bit if you're like looking at individual fish or groups of fish at times, but um, 
Yeah, you're not gonna like miss the obvious stuff on the on the old side imaging. I think like down south where you're scanning ledges and where you're really looking for the fish before you fish them, mm-hmm. probably a bigger deal. But in yeah. it's not very common that you're scanning the fish that you end up catching because they're usually tucked in the weeds. And so I think mega probably up here is a little diminished advantage to compare to some other places in the country. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I did hear the story, Connor, that Seth's grass came off and then they washed up on shore and somebody gave him the brand and Polonic. Yeah, so, that, that's nuts. I saw that. Too. One of them was working and one of them was waterlogged, I think. Yeah, I think he might use the one that's working or try to. Yeah, that's what he said. And I and I said, well, great. Now now Polonic's got all uh, Seth's <laughs> and Claire waypoints. So now we're. <laughs> Right, as if you needed it. Yeah, make sure it's working and put my SD card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you see some guy on like eBay selling Taka waypoints under a code name. It might be Brandon. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess uh, any any like any. Any horror stories, anything like what, any like super big surprises or things that like shocked you your first year so far? Or like, what's the big, the most eye opening thing? Um, you know, have you went in, like, has there been a scenario where you like feel like you thought you had an idea of what it would take and then you caught it and then came in and been like, wow, they really caught it? You fall, yeah, yeah, day one, yeah, like. I think I had 14 or something and we were all talking beforehand and we thought it would take, take 13 to 14 a day to get a check. And I was sitting in like 60 something with 14 or even more. Yeah. So that, that's a, to that point, like I kind of knew this, but it's definitely like become more eye opening with each event is that these guys catch them. Like they, they are like on another level from the opens and obviously i mean they all qualified to be there um but they are a step above even that open level to a noticeable extent like um if like even in florida where the bite was super tough i mean those top guys still caught them pretty good and if you get on any fishery where the bite's halfway decent, they're just going to crush them. I mean, look at Eufaula, St. Lawrence, um, Champlain. You know, it's pretty. that part has been pretty eye-opening to me that, like, you got to catch them every day, which, you know, I, I've followed the sport long enough to kind of know that, but until you actually live it, it then it really hits home. It's not like the state tournament where you're like, ah, man, that was kind of tough, but I caught 13 pounds, and then you're surprised that you're in the top 10 when you get in. Yeah. <laughs> right. When you go up there, you're like, yeah, I felt pretty tough, and then, man, I'm an 80th place for 13 pounds. <laughs> yeah. The other thing about it is, like, these guys, like, you talk to them, and they'll all say how tough the bite is. Not, not a one of them will tell you, like, they're going to go out and crush them or that they're on fish. Right. And then – but – they do like that's what they go do is they go out and catch them and usually catch them pretty good so that's one thing that's a lot different than the opens where there's a lot of more there's a lot more positive doc talk at the open level and then you see it go the other way on tournament days whereas with the elites 
there's a lot of like sandbagging and then they really catch them. So yeah, that part is a little different. At the opens, at the nation, at the club, everybody wins practice. Everybody's yeah. like bottom, like um, <laughs> yeah. So that's been pretty okay. big. Nice. Have you guys ever ran anything fast than idle? What happened? Like, have you ever hit anything hard, like on plane? Uh, no, I've like bumped into some buoys before idling, like on accident, but I've never like. I don't think I've ever ran in or log or anything on plane. Uh, oh, I mean, I've I've knocked off lower units. Yeah, I mean, I've I think I've I think I've knocked off three or four on the river. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I uh, yeah. my motor came off one time on the river completely. I think that was like a floating deadhead type situation, but that's the only time. Now I've. Okay. Dead- intentionally ran over sandbars many a time oh yeah i have too yeah the times i've hit my lower unit i didn't know like stuff was there but i have i've been pretty fortunate to make very good calculated decisions on the river uh where i poked a wing dam or a closing dam or a log or a stump yeah yeah i hit like uh it was more of like a hard sand drop one time. Took my skeg off pretty good. It's like a gra- more of a gravelly sand drop. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, one of those sand sharks came up and bit me off. Um, Vermilion, I actually took my lower unit off on Vermilion on a random big boulder out in the middle of a bay that wasn't marked. So that's another spot. I would say most of mine have been pretty lucky that I've usually, if I've done it, I've done it taking off. Okay. Yeah. Versus setting down. Oh, actually, you know what? There was a time on the Watchtower River in my dad's boat. <laughs> that was missing, right? In practice. And there's this place going up the Darbone Bayou to get up to the spillway. Mm. They call it the S turns, and it's not marked for crap. Oh. But it's. I don't know, a couple boat lengths wide, and it's like these tight S turns. And if you're off, I mean, it's you're dead. Like it's just dumb. I mean, it's, and I don't. I like I had ran it so many times in practice, and on like the sec second day of practice, I came back, and I don't know if I just mental lapse wasn't focused on my line, and I ran right over one of the S's, and I just put a gash about that long in the fiberglass and just raked it. To the ball. It was bad. <laughs> So well, that was it. Far. Yeah. I basically okay. came off plane and I sat down on a series of logs and just like just stumps like that. Good. Well, there we go. So we ended a positive note on the street. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're an hour, 40 minutes. I think we've covered most everything. I think most people yeah. got to ask what they wanted to ask. Um, so it's what uh, Bob Downey fishing on Facebook and yeah. Bob Downey underscore on Instagram. I have those linked down in the description below. So you guys can yeah. click on those. Um, anything else people should follow you on or anything? Uh, no, just those two. I haven't really gotten into the YouTube deal, but no, it's yeah. done good. it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun to chat with you and, talk about the season and good luck in your next two events. 
Yeah, same for you. Hopefully, uh, I'd like to see you uh, bust some, uh, make some day three cuts and make a little noise and uh, yeah. make Thanks, us proud. We'll be watching. So appreciate it. All right. As always, right. hey, everybody, make sure you uh, watch the replay, subscribe, comment. Let me know what you thought of the stream. I know there was some troubles tonight. Uh, like I said, there will be the replay available. There will be the audio version. Always, As always, I'm here to help you catch more bass and suck less. See you guys. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.